This is Wicket's World with Mike Wicket on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. If you are streaming the show on the ESPN Des Moines Facebook page, you get to look at the very same shirt that Kira gets to look at right now. This thing is impressive. If you have not seen it, it is on the Facebook page. Kira, describe this bad boy for, for those that are listening right now. Yeah. What? What? Once, what, once what, I, what is this? There we go. Oh, mm, looks good. It's it's the most fashionable shirt. <laughs> uh, it is a Hawaiian shirt. What color would you call that? Turquoise, teal, turquoise, turquoise along those lines. Yeah. Uh, with your beautiful children, all three faces all over it. Uh, one of them has green hair. Yeah, that's weird. I don't know. That's something uh, in the weird lighting of the picture somewhere, <laughs> somewhere. And then, yeah, here it is. So. This was a Father's Day gift from uh, from all my kids. This is great. I know, right? Uh, big show today. Don't forget tonight, Cubs and Yankees. That's coming your, uh, coming your way, five thirty for the pregame right here on ESPN Des Moines. You're home for Chicago Cubs baseball. Gonna get to the Victor Wembanyama stuff. The hype is real. You want to see Wemby, the number one overall pick in his NBA Summer League debut tonight for the Spurs. It's over on ESPN. Unfortunately for Webb and Yama, he's got more than just basketball drama to deal with. We'll talk about that, obviously. If you're uh, getting ready for your fantasy football drafts, probably a month away. But if you're getting ready, I'm going to give you some help with the tight end position. Maybe we'll do this weekly, where we go position by position. We'll get somebody on to discuss uh, each of the, you know, the best at certain positions as we go through here, getting ready for our drafts. I have five drafts coming up. Five. We'll talk tight ends with uh, my buddy Andrew Cooper from FantasyAlarm.com. We'll do that in a bit, but the biggest story in sports right now, we are at that moment where the biggest story in sports is all of us sitting around playing the waiting game because we're waiting for the NFL season to start because the NFL is king. And if you're a sports talk fan and you're listening to this radio station, you hear a lot about Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard. Dame. Dame time out in Portland finally is going to be out of the Pacific Northwest where he's been basically in basketball purgatory for years because they're not good enough. They have not been good enough to really contend ever in the West. They got to one Western Conference Finals. They got swept by the Warriors. Other than that, we're wasting a superstar. Now, a lot of people were worried that Milwaukee was going to do that with Giannis or is Dallas doing that with Luka? Luka's been great. Dallas hasn't done much in the playoffs in the Luka era. And Giannis, of course, has won a couple of MVPs in a title. But we basically have the Pacific Northwest version of Giannis right now out in in Portland, Damian Lillard. And where will he go? What will he do? And he has said for years he wants to stay in Portland and win in Portland. But if there was ever a sign that this was the year that that, that Dame was going to be gone, it was when they landed Scoot Henderson, a guy who plays the same position, at the guard spot in the draft this year, number three overall. So finally, you would have to think 33, I want to say 33-year-old Dame, has said he wants out. And we're going to get to a lot of the drama, and I believe it's manufactured drama. We're going to get to a lot of the drama surrounding Dame Lillard coming up here in a bit. 
Because if I'm the Portland Trailblazers, as loyal as Dame has been, he has never caused a problem. You have never heard Dame say, I want out. You have never, ever heard Damian Lillard give, you know, any sort of report that he is unhappy. He wants to be in Portland. Portland is his home. You know, the Blazers are all they got over there. And he has been the face of the Blazers. You talk about the great Portland Trailblazers of all time. It's Dame, it's Clyde, and it's Bill Walton. For the old heads, it's Bill Walton. For my generation, it was Clyde. And for younger people, it's Dame. And Dame may be the best ever. Averaged 30 a game last year. Wasted talent. Averaged 30 a game. Doesn't do anything in the postseason. Because they don't build. They haven't built anything around him. So there are reports out that Damian Lillard only wants to go to Miami. That's great. Too bad Dame doesn't have an oak trade clause in his contract. You know, Damian Lillard's under contract for four years. That fourth year is a player option, so really three years of control, whoever lands Damian Lillard. So Lillard wants to trade, and according to his agent, the only team that he wants to go to is Miami. This is called agent talk. This is smoke smokescreen. It's not the only team. It's the preferred team. And I don't knock Dame's Lillard, uh, Dame's agent, I should say, I don't knock Dame's agent for saying, well, the only team he wants to go to is the Miami Heat. Heat coming off the Eastern Conference title. They went to the NBA Finals. They lost to the Nuggets. They got uh, playoff Jimmy over there. They got Bam. Go to Florida. Live that Florida life, that Florida-Miami NBA life, whatever that is. So I've got no problem with his agent doing what he wants. All right, if Dame really wants to go to Miami, Dame really wants to go to Miami, that's fine. The agent's job is to make the player happy. I got no beef whatsoever with the agent putting things out there like, don't anybody else call because my guy wants to go and play for the Heat. That's his job, right? The problem for for Dame and for his agent, as loyal as he has been, as great of a story as that is, as awesome as Damian Lillard has been for Portland, and for the Pacific Northwest and giving fans when the Sonics were gone, that was it. That's all they've got up there for, for pro sports in the NBA world, right? The Blazers aren't in this to make Dame happy. Now they can try, but the Blazers got to do what the Blazers got to do. And the Blazers have to do what they have to do to try to build around Scoot and Jeremy Grant. And they just drafted Iowa's Chris Murray in the first round. They've got to build around the core of players, the young players that they have to try to compete with Denver or if Golden State is back or whatever the Lakers are or the Clippers or whomever. Sacramento's young and on the way up. They're on the come right now. So what exactly are the Blazers looking for? Well, Austin White of the Portland Tribune was on this radio station earlier this morning. I think what they're looking for is, you know, still more youth, more draft picks, They've really done, honestly, since Joe Crones took over, they've done a solid job in the draft, taking Shaden despite not a lot of info out there, landing scoots. You know, they've done a great job. You look at Miami, they don't have those draft picks. You know, they don't have those young assets. Miami is where Dame wants to go, but it doesn't really make any sense for Portland, the organization, to do it when they're looking for young assets and this team doesn't have it. Yeah, they're not exactly the youngest team. I know Tyler Hero's name has been dangled out there. If you're a Heat fan, you're like, yeah, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to lose Tyler Hero. A fringe all-star, good player, sixth man. But is that going to be what, what you know, pulls the trigger for Portland? No, they want picks. 
They want young players. They want expiring contracts. They don't want a good player on a decent deal to come in. They're not that piece away from competing in the West. And unfortunately, if, if Dame only wants to go to Miami or really, 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 really wants to go to Miami, according to ESPN's Brian Winhorst, he doesn't have a whole lot of leverage. Dame is not naive. He's been in the league a long time. He knows. So when he signed that contract and he didn't get the no trade clause, you have to understand that that would be out there. And so anybody who trades for Dame knows that you'd be getting him for four years. And that is why I think there is a possibility, as Woj kind of hints at in the story that he wrote today, that another team could do it. Because if you get Dame, he's under contract for four years. It's not like Kawhi Leonard who can walk in a year. And I think that fourth year is a player option. And players don't always take that option, depending on where they're at health-wise, production-wise. So it could be three years you get Dame. But it's strange. Like, I listen to the, to our radio station a lot, and I drive around and I listen to all the shows. I listen to Greeny, and I listen to Fitz and Harry, and whatever we're calling the morning show right now, I'm not sure. And I listen to Canty and Carlin, and I listen to all kind of national sports talk. And everybody is mad. Why isn't this happening? Why hasn't the Dame been traded yet? Why hasn't Damian uh, Damian Lillard gone out of Portland yet? Well, the number one reason is that this kind of thing takes time. This could be a seismic shift. You know, if he goes to Boston. Massive swing in the East. They've already added Kristaps Porzingis. If he goes to Philly and you pair him with Joel Embiid, massive shift. I'm a Bucks fan. I want to see him go to Milwaukee. You pair him with Giannis, massive swing in the East. Maybe he goes somewhere else we're not even talking about right now. Maybe somebody, maybe Cleveland jumps in and you pair him with their young talent that they have there. Now you're, you're looking to add, if you are a team that is close, Milwaukee is close, Boston is close. Uh, Philly is close. Out West, I don't think Phoenix can add anything else, but they think that they are, you know, on paper, everybody loves the the Phoenix Suns right now. But somebody wants to, you know, you, you want to add Damian Lillard if you can, if you're close to winning a championship. The problem is the market right now, here on July 7th, it's not that hot. I don't think the market is crackling for him right now. I think there's some teams that are lurking, but I don't think it's a gigantic market for him right now. I mean, one of the big telling things to me is I think Philadelphia can make a compelling offer. They can trade James Harden, potentially pick up some assets there, add Tyrese Maxey to the package, and I'm not sure that you can do better, especially if they were able to put two first-round picks and Tyrese Maxey into the deal. I'm not sure that the Blazers could do better than that. So what do some of these messages mean from the people close to Damian Lillard? Now, we have not heard Damian Lillard speak. That hasn't been a thing. But Damian Lillard, somebody, I love this, a person familiar with Lillard's thinking. Okay. Said, quote, he just wouldn't go, he just wouldn't report if the Blazers traded him elsewhere other than Miami. What, what does that mean? He's not going to go? He's going to be an unhappy Damian Lillard? ESPN's Myron Medcalf. Great question. What does that even mean? What is unhappy Damian Lillard? Right, like, So he's going to make $50 million a year for the next four years. Like, what do you mean unhappy? Is he like everybody sitting at the lunch table and Dame takes his plate and goes to the corner? and turns his back to the team? Is he going to be on the court and they run a play and Dame just kicks the ball into the stands because he just doesn't care? Like, what is unhappy Dame? I don't believe any of this. I don't believe there's going to be unhappy Dame. I don't think there's going to be disgruntled Dame. I don't think there's going to be 
a Dame that doesn't run a play, that doesn't show up to camp. I don't think there's going to be that Dame, all right? Fakes an injury. No, these guys are professionals. Right now, we are in the beginning stages of the Damian Lillard summer saga. All right? Draft happens. A couple days later, Lillard finally requests a trade. Portland says, all right, we'll trade you. And then everybody splits, right? Everybody has to be on the, which side are you on? The Portland side or the Damian Lillard side? You can be on both, all right? Unless you're a fan of a team, like, I want him to go to the Bucs. Make... Make the, you know, whatever the offer is from Milwaukee or whatever the offer is from your favorite NBA team. You you can be on whatever side that you want. So we're still in the very beginning stages of the Damian Lillard trade saga. We have got to the point now where the agent who wants, you know, Dame to get to Miami isn't seeing the offer come in from Miami yet. So we're putting out these smoke screens of, well, if you trade him anywhere, he's going to anywhere else. He's going to be unhappy. First off, the Blazers don't give a rip if Damian Lillard is happy or unhappy in Boston or happy or unhappy in Milwaukee or happy or unhappy in Minneapolis playing for the Timberwolves. They don't care. This is a business. This is 100% a business. Now, you you understand. Myron Metcalf knows if, if you get Dame, you want a happy Dame. Ideally, if you trade for Dame, you want him to be excited about playing for you. Like, no one wants a disgruntled superstar. At the same time, this almost sounds like a threat to me, like against the Blazers. Like, if you don't listen to this guy and give him to Miami, it's not going to work out in your favor. Who cares about Damian Lillard's happiness from a Blazers perspective? If the deal is you want two expiring contracts and two first-round picks in a second, who can make that happen? Or you want to pick a young player and some expiring contracts so you can jump back into the free agent game next year. Who cares if Damian Lillard likes it in Charlotte or likes it in Boston or likes it in L.A.? Nobody cares. There's a not, He didn't get a no-trade clause in his contract, which means he has no say where they send him. They could send him to Detroit, all right, the worst team in the NBA. They could send him to the Pistons, and he can play alongside Cade Cunningham and be part of a rebuild. No, I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think, I really don't believe Detroit is in the, the Damian Lillard market right now. Again, I think if you're looking at moving a superstar or adding a superstar to your roster, I think you're a team that is a piece away from having a big three or 10-10-B-A, a big four. And there, I do not believe Detroit is in that conversation. But if they offer the most... Bang for the buck. Then Damian Lillard's going to get shipped from Portland to Detroit or wherever. Nobody in Portland should worry about Dame's happiness. You worry about the future of the Portland Trailblazers. That's all this should come down to. If it comes down to one or two teams and Miami's offer sucks and you're looking at two other teams, you say, Dame, Philly or Boston? These are your down to the, the you can make you can pick the choice, all right? We like both offers. You can make your choice. You can go to either Milwaukee, Philly, Boston. Who do you want to play with? Tatum, Embiid, Giannis. Then fine, you could ask Damian Lillard. But until that point, Dame gets no say where he gets traded. We'll do some more NBA coming up. The Wembenyama hype train is taking off. Today is officially the start of the summer league for Victor Wembenyama in Vegas. You're going to find out what's going to go on on the court and what happened off the court 
It involves Britney Spears. If I get the chance to talk about Britney Spears, I will. That's coming up. Straight ahead, though, who should you draft in your fantasy draft at the tight end spot? What if you don't get Travis Kelsey? We'll talk to Andrew Cooper from FantasyAlarm.com next. Wicket needs a timeout. He'll be back soon. You're listening to 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. FantasyAlarm.com's Andrew Cooper is with us. Andrew, we're doing a fantasy preview as we get closer to the season every single week. And as a guy who knows a thing or two about tight ends, it's tough to find gold in the tight end world in fantasy football. Thank you for coming on. Let's start with who's the second best (laughs) tight end in fantasy? Because we all know it's Mr. Kelsey at the top. Yes, yes. I mean, uh, people all the time, they come to me and they say, it's Travis Kelsey, and then who cares? And I have to sit here as a tight end guy and pretend like that doesn't hurt my feelings. You know? <laughs> so uh, for for me, it's got to be Mark Andrews uh, because he's established as a top target on the team, and he's not going to fall outside the top two. Not to mention, he's been a top two tight end on this offense that's been bottom five in pass attempts under Greg Roman. Now they get Todd Munkin to come in, change everything up, run the air raid, I see big things from Mark Andrews. He's pretty clearly number two for me. So is there any worry in the idea of going, if if you're one of those people who takes a tight end real high, that way you win, you know, over replacement versus whoever you're facing. And it's a mathematical thing. And some people love doing that. Is there worry about the addition of OBJ? Does Bateman take a step? Lamar with his legs. I mean, all of those things are going to factor in. Does that give you pause in taking Mark Andrews early? So we, for me, even if well, I've looked at it mathematically, I've done some research on it. If you go to my Twitter at Coupe Fiasco, I, I just pinned the article to the top. All he has to be is a top two target on the team. Mathematically speaking, uh, across the board, we can have two guys on the same team that get large target shares. You see it with guys like uh, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins or Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill. So it would be a problem if multiple guys would emerge, but I really don't think there's a chance that Mark Andrews falls out of that top two seat. And there's going to be enough volume there where when you, uh, you know, that he's going to be fine. And when you look at other tight ends, they have uh, about the same problems. Like who's, who are you going to move up? TJ Hawkinson now has to deal with a first round pick in Jordan Addison. George Kittle's dealing with Brandon Ayuk and uh, Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and Dallas Goddard's third in the totem pole behind Devonta Smith and A.J. Brown, if you look at the games where all three guys were healthy, it was eight targets for A.J. Brown per game, 7.7 for Smith, and 5.6 for Goddard. So it's it's almost a matter of Mark Andrews ends up there by default. Talking to Andrew Cooper. Check him out, fantasyalarm.com on Twitter at Coop A. Fiasco. It's Wicket's World here on ESPN Des Moines. So is there a second or a third guy that you would put in that same tier after? And It's not Kelsey and everybody else, but it's Kelsey Big Gap. And then who after Andrews? Yeah, so for me, uh, I, the way I look at it is this. If you're playing in a, a normal league where normal people, 10 to 12 teams, one tight end spot, if your tight end is not top five or six, you mathematically have a below average tight end. So I only care about upside. I'm looking for guys that can either lead their team in targets or at least be top two. So the guys that I'm drafting ADP, I'm shooting for the moon. I go for uh, Kelsey if he's there, Andrews if he's there, uh, Kyle Pitts, why not? Uh, Darren Waller is one that I look at and I say, hey, why can't Darren Waller lead the Giants in targets? So in the top 10 there, I'm not settling for guys that I, I personally think are third on the team, like 
Pat Fryermuth or, or even Kittle or Goddard. I'm, I'm going big, right? So that's where I'm at. And then if I don't get one of those guys, I wait and I use my a little strategy I call yin and yang tight end if you want to get into that way. Oh, I'd love to hear it. I love because, look, I, I always suck at the draft for whatever reason. I, I, I like to think, like, I read everything. I check you guys out, fantasyalarm.com, and I'm like, all right, boom. I'm using this strategy. And then I always wind up with some RJ P Ryan, who's not a bad pick this year, but he is behind Joe Mixon (laughs) this year. Hey, now is finally his time. There were dynasty drafts a while back where people were taking some P Ryan ahead of Alvin Kamara. Those people might finally get in get their revenge (laughs) seven years later or whatever it is. Okay. So uh, (laughs) have some respect for the Samaje P Ryan. What's the yin and yang. Tell us all about it. Yeah, so this is my strategy if I don't hit, uh, get a guy early, and it's a little method we've used to find breakout tight ends. The last six years in a row, a tight end has come from outside the top 17 to finish top five. Six years ago was Evan Ingram. Then you had guys like Jaron Waller and Mark Andrews. Eric Ebron scored 13 touchdowns with uh, Andrew Luck. We had Logan Thomas, Dalton Schultz. In our minds, we think these guys aren't there, but that every year we look at the standings and they're there. Last year, Evan Ingram, tight end 20, finished tight end 5. So if I don't get a guy early, what I do is I look at what's left and I pick the safest guy possible that I can put in my lineup week one and trust him not to lose me the week. So that's where maybe you do, if they slide, take a, a Friar Muth or an Njoku or one of these guys, and then I take a second one. They tell you not to take two tight ends, and I think that is antiquated. It's old. It's wrong. I just look at, I throw floor out the window with my second tight end, and I say, who could possibly have upside? Who could be a top two target on their team? And if that guy doesn't pop right away, we swap him out. We use one bench spot trying to improve that part of our lineup. That's what the bench is for, right? Your weakest part of the lineup, you keep trying to improve it. So that's the move that I've been doing. And luckily, you know, we. We run all the behind-the-scenes numbers. We've been pretty good at hitting these guys. We're hoping to hit again this year. Fantasyalarm.com's Andrew Cooper joining me here on ESPN Des Moines. My name is Mike Wicket. Follow him on Twitter at Coop A Fiasco. You know, I want to go back to a guy you mentioned in that upper echelon, and that's Kyle Pitts. I drafted Kyle Pitts in one of my leagues last year. Again, everything I do turns to lemons. But I, I was like, man, my draft was like Lamar Jackson and Kyle Pitts, and I got this great draft grade, and then my team sucked. Pitts seemingly doesn't have a great quarterback. I don't know how much stock you can put in a guy like Desmond Ritter. Is is Pitts worth the risk? Yeah, so that's the thing. The only way to really, because we, we know the guys that are already good, so the only way to really break the mold is to shoot for hypothetical upside. So when we look at a guy like Kyle Pitts, last year the numbers weren't there, the above-ground numbers. But when you look behind the scenes a little bit, that team was throwing at an absurdly low level. Uh, the Bears and Falcons last year threw the fewest passes per game since the 2009 Jets. They were running like, you know, leather helmet era teams here. And if you take the share of those targets, Kyle Pitts has actually had the, big, the highest target share of any tight end. Like, of the few targets they were throwing, he was getting a lot of them. So the whole idea of him playing wide receiver a ton, playing outside, running high average depth of target routes, and getting a big target share, the bet there is that if they throw more, then if so facto, that will translate into the production that we saw as a rookie, where he had 1,000 yards. It's kind of like one of those things where you're just like, they have to realize the talent that that they have. A couple of years ago, before he got suspended, Calvin Ridley had like two touchdowns in a season. You're like, why are they not getting him the ball in the end zone? Julio was on the other side, and Julio had those years too in Atlanta. Crazy. Yeah, Julio really never cracked double-digit touchdowns. I don't know what it is about... 
about that. And we know Arthur Smith wants to run. So you're the, that's the thing is we're we're not as, and that's the thing about the whole yin and yang tight end is that if, sometimes you work in reverse. If you take a high risk guy like like Pitts, maybe you do want to have a safe backup plan just in case. But we're shooting for upside. That that's at the end of the day what we're doing. And uh, you know, there's a few guys going outside the top ten that I think could have top five upside, even though they're not being drafted that way. I'm in a dynasty league, and dynasty drafts are always interesting. Uh, acquired Kate Otten last year and Trey McBride last year uh, in the offseason. I guess at the uh, the end of the year, they were just sitting there on waivers. Do you see uh, you know, a certain guy making a jump in year two? Maybe it's Otten, maybe it's McBride with the injury to, to their, their stud tight end in Arizona, whose name I can't remember, who was traded last year. Who's a second-year guy that you think can become a 60-catch guy or an eight-touchdown guy? So the system I use for Dynasty is called SORT. S-O-R-T, start opportunity, roster talent. You're doing the right thing by grabbing these guys that we believe are talented. Kate Otten became the starting tight end as a rookie. He beat everybody out. Trey McBride, when Zach Ertz went down, he had a game with 10 targets. We think these guys are talented, so you want to have as many of them on your roster, and then you wait for that window to open. For Kate Otten, his window probably opens when one of Mike Evans or Chris Godwin are gone, so maybe not this year, or maybe there's a trade. You know, who knows? Uh, With Trey McBride, they already got rid of DeAndre Hopkins. Zach Ertz is lingering around, but he's coming off an ACL, so maybe his window is open now. But the second-year guy that I'm in love with, that I'm taking in virtually every draft, like if people want to know the guy that I'm reaching for a couple rounds before where he goes, it's Chig Okonkwo from Tennessee. This guy, as a rookie, he only played a 35% snap share between, behind Jeff Swain and Austin Hooper. Those guys are gone now. Uh, he had 30 or so catches, three touchdowns. His numbers looked very similar to Mark Andrews as a rookie. He was behind Nick Boyle playing with Hayden Hurst. But Chigs are all slightly better. Better yards per route run, uh, better contested catch rate, better man-to-man. And this guy, Chig, he runs a 4-5-2. That's the same 40 time as George Kittle. There's a reason George Kittle can do more with less when it comes to targets is he can break off 40-yard chunk plays. This guy, Oconquo, last year in only three, uh, 35% snap share he had a 340 plus yard place so i know that we're banking on things to change drastically but if his snaps go up man this guy could blow up i haven't ranked at he goes off the board tight end 12 or so i haven't ranked at tight end eight andrew cooper fantasy on twitter at coop a fiasco joining us here on espn des moines uh andrew finally and a reminder go out and get Oconquo if you can if you can find him He's not available in my dynasty league, Andrew. It would have been great to know from you, like, I don't know, a year ago. But um, <laughs> I was tweeting about it a year ago, and I know you and me are on Twitter. I know, <laughs> I know you follow me quick, so that's not on me. That's not on me. Yeah, I, I'm, try, I'm learning. I'm trying. That's why we have you on. Finally, let's get to the rookies. Um, as a Green Bay Packers fan, the right answer is Lucas Musgrave. But who is the standout rookie you think actually gets the the big time numbers maybe not Kyle Pitts numbers from two years ago but who's the standout tight end that you see making an impact in fantasy this year? Well, I'll tell you what it, it, it'll please you guys in Packers land to know that for this year especially I actually have Luke Musgrave ahead of a guy like Michael Mayer. That's the right answer. That is the yeah, right answer. I will say because I, I, I look at it and I say, okay, who has the opportunity? We go back to the top two target thing where the vast majority of redraft. Uh, you know, season-long, not dynasty tight ends that mm-hmm. have upside, they're either first or second, right? Well, I look at Mayer, and it's like Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, Jacoby Myers, even Austin Hooper is there. Is he is he going to be that right away? Whereas Luke Musgrave, man, 
we love Christian Watson. We, we like Romeo Doves. We like Jane Reed, but it's a new quarterback, and who knows which who's going to be the top dog, right? So he could sneak in there. And even in Dynasty Leagues, I kind of I got my eye on Tucker Craft. People, people forget that the Ravens drafted Hayden Hurst in the first round, and in the very same draft, in the third round, they took another tight end named Mark Andrews. Uh, Hayden Hurst was kind of a high-risk, high-reward guy, which Luke Musgrave is, right? He's a former... Uh, you know, uh, skier didn't really do much in college because he got hurt. Uh, you, it's not a guarantee. So we we love the athleticism. We're rooting for Musgrave. You have him ranked ahead, but keep your eye on Kraft. You know, you never know what those. Mark Andrews ended up being the guy there. So uh, we do like those guys, both of them. Uh, but the two guys that I think have the biggest upside right away, and it's it's just obvious because of the the way that they're deployed, the way they play. It's uh, Dalton Kincaid for the Bills, who could be the starting slot right away that you can play in your tight end spot, or Sam Laporta out of Iowa. You're just sucking up to all the Iowa Hawkeye fans listening right now. <laughs> well, I, I got to admit, the Iowa is the tight end factory, are they not? I mean, <laughs> uh, Dallas Clark, TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, George Kittle, now Laporta. I mean, he, he broke 20 tackles as a senior. Right, he broke six. On and he had one a terrible quarterback. He had a horrible quarterback too. No, right, crazy. Like they, I look at the numbers and I was, you got the, the pass attempts and the passing offense was down near like you know army and navy. Right? So you know, it, the, it's crazy. the army and to, navy from the forties. That's how bad the <laughs> offense was. <laughs> and he was able to succeed in that. You know how it is. It, it's that much more impressive when, uh, like, think about it this way: if you're the tight end for Alabama, Cameron Latu and they have all these crazy weapons that are all going to go in the first couple of rounds, people just forget about you. And you're open by the nature of just be, like sneaking around. With a guy like uh, Sam Laporta, everybody knows that you have this one guy, and they're trying to stop him, and they can't. So a guy like that, super appealing to me, especially with you know Jameis Williams going to miss six games. Uh, they got Amon Ross St. Brown, but after that, who's going to be the second target there? Jameer Gibbs, maybe, the rookie. Marvin Jones is on the wrong end. Hey, why not, right? How many leagues are you in? Like a hundred thousand. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. F- I I was in four. I'm now in five. My wife is getting angry because now it's like I've got five fantasy leagues and three kids. Like I'm really. I need to keep that number more even. I think. Yeah, well, I don't think you want to crank up the add more kids. No, that's gonna no. That's more much more busy schedule. You get out of here, uh, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, wait, are you in the uh, the Scott Fishbowl? If not, we got to get you in that next year, man. No, just what I need. More fantasy football. I would love to be in. Yes, we'll uh, we'll see what we can do with that. Maybe we, uh, I actually have Scott Fish coming on our show a little later today for you guys. Uh, we're doing the uh, Alarm Fantasy Football Show uh, for Central Time, folks. It'll be from 2 to 4. And uh, hit me up on Twitter at Coupe Fiasco. Uh, jump in the chat. You can ask questions to Scott Fish. You know, maybe I'll talk to him a little bit, see if we can get you in there, Rick. Yeah, just get me in there. That way I can finish in the the dead last spot and win that toilet bowl. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate the time. Uh, You can check out Andrew's work again on Twitter at CoopAFiascoFantasyAlarm.com. Andrew, thank you so much, man. Hey, thanks again, buddy. Go Packers, go Iowa. Round it out with a little... uh... Homerism, You're right? just pissing off the Iowa State fans, but it's okay, Andrew. We'll we'll let it go. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Take care, buddy. Thanks for having me. Like ESPN Des Moines on Facebook and watch Wicket's World live in real time. This is 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines.
My thanks to Andrew Cooper for joining us from FantasyAlarm.com. Check out his work. Again, FantasyAlarm.com. Coop A. Fiasco on Twitter. Dude fills it up. And I've never seen anybody care more about uh, tight ends in fantasy football than that guy. My name is Mike Wicket. This is Wicket's World here on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. Got Cubs and Yankees coming up tonight and all weekend. We'll have Sunday Night Baseball for you as well. Trying to get to football season. Just trying. Just trying to beg and plead and get to football season as best as we can around here. Big 12 media days are next week. It's like the unofficial kickoff to the college football season. And I think I saw Iowa State was picked 10th in the Big 12 by the media. The first poll that is out. It's not good. (laughs) Texas, number one. Uh, So tonight... You get to see the, I mean, there hasn't been hype, and gosh, I hope he lives up to it, but there hasn't been hype for a guy in the NBA since LeBron James, like there is for Victor Webinyama. Way more than there was for Zion. Zion was explosive. Zion was electric. People were excited to see Zion. Unfortunately, Zion has not been on the field, or on the court, I should say, Enough to warrant all the uh, the expectation. Like, rarely do guys live up to the hype that Victor Webinyama has had placed upon him. Seven foot five, can hit from the outside. Obviously, very good around the rim. Incredible defender because he can touch both baselines. And I am not a Spurs fan. I did not want to see him go anywhere in particular in that top three or top five or whatever it was. But he's a guy that's going to get eyes. I think I uh, we're going to hear a cut, a soundbite coming up from Andrew Snellings here in just a bit. Tickets are going for an incredible amount of money for tonight's game. Playing in the Summer League. We'll get to that in a minute. But, you know, Victor Webinyama, coming from France, 19 years old. He was asked about uh, what to expect now that he's actually going to get on the court. Victor, regardless of how, how much you play in the summer, what are you hoping to get out of it? Have a first taste of uh, the NBA game, but also see, have a first look at the, the other prospects, the other draftees, and uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, getting... you imagine being set, uh, 19 years old, being seven foot five, being a professional player in France, and the whole world has been waiting for you to enter the NBA draft for a couple of years now? I mean, you could actually, I think I saw, might have been on DraftKings, I'm not sure where. They were just giving away free money. You could bet on who was going to be the number one pick in the draft. It was like minus 40,000. And if you bet, or minus 4,000 or something ridiculous, if you bet 4,000 on Victor Webb and Yama to go number one, you won 200 bucks. But they were giving away free money. Like, I'm not much of a gambler, but they were giving away free money. If you have 4000 to make 200 that's still making 200 That's still plus units if you're a gambler. And now this guy's going to come in, and there are a lot of expectations that are already put on this kid. Face of the league. MVP. Unicorn. All those things. Draymond Green, who was one of the big stories of the NBA in the last couple of weeks, uh, going back to the Golden State Warriors. They're getting the band back together. He just wants everybody to chill out at all this Wemby All-Star talk. 
I think people are setting him up for failure. Like, oh, he's going to be an all-star next year. Like, man, it's hard in this mm-hmm. NBA. He said that? Yeah, it's hard to become an all-star in this Dang. league. Now, if he do, hey, God be with him. But to say, like, he's going to be an all-star next year as if he don't have to figure this game out, I don't really buy that. I think he will be special, but an all-star next year, I think that's a bit much. I think if there's any, listen, I, again, not a Spurs fan by any stretch of the imagination, but if I could pray to a sports god, if I could pray to a basketball god, keep this dude healthy. Keep this guy healthy. I mean, his body looks like it's ready to break. He's 7'5". I don't know what he weighs. Kira, can you look up? By the way, spell Victor Webinyama. All right. Just type in Victor. I'm sure Webinyama is the first thing coming up on Google these days when you type in the word Victor. I'm going to bet he weighs 230. That's my guess. Seven foot five, 230 pounds is my best guess. I don't know. How would I do? What was your guess? Seven, I, the 230. Uh, 210. 210. Oh, 210. my God. So he's tall and lanky. Seven, five, 210. Put that in perspective, Kira. I'm six foot two. All right. I'm a foot and three inches shorter than him, and I weigh 175. <laughs> All right. So he weighs, what's that, 35 more pounds than I do? Wow. So And, it's, and he's 7'5". It's, it's you and at least one toddler. It's me and a baby of mine, yes. It's what it's me and one of my kids, and he's only and, and, and that's it. Man. He has to put on weight. He has to put on muscle. He's 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 athletic as all get up, but in this league, especially at that height, it'll be so interesting to see where he plays and where he spends most of his time. Because you look at other guys who are tall and can hit from the outside. Like, don't you automatically think that they're going to keep him away from all the contact that they can? Right? Like, Anthony Davis comes to mind. Anthony Davis is injured all the time. Incredible talent. Inside, outside, don't come in on him. He'll play defense. But every time Anthony Davis jumps, if you're a Laker fan, or you're just a basketball fan, you watch Anthony Davis come down, and you hope something doesn't bend the wrong way because he's hurt all the time. And I'm not knocking Anthony Davis, but his nickname is Street Clothes. So I don't want to see Victor Webinyama missing 30 games a year because of injury and have seasons cut short. I really want this kid to stay healthy because he's, no, he's like nothing we've ever seen in our lives. I don't care if you've been watching basketball for 10 years or you've been watching basketball since George Mikan played. Kids, that was an old player in the 1950s. Uh, I, he was a giant among men. I I, I just, the hype is there. And, and the hype right now in Las Vegas, and we'll get to the off-the-court stuff involving Victor Webb and Yam in a moment, but the hype on the court, according to former NBA player Andrew Snellings, now at the ESPN, says the Wemby hype is just at a fever pitch in Vegas. The Wembenyama hype out here is, is real. You know, the only thing that I could think of close um, in recent years and in, in my trips out to Vegas was the Zion Williamson hype in 2019, where it was just kind of a buzz around the whole city and everyone was looking forward to it and talking about it. And in the stadium itself, 
uh, or in the arena itself, Thomas and Mac trying to get in and, and move around, even with a press credential on, is crazy. It's so many people that, you know, it's just standing room only. Right. And in this case, I guess they've even topped it because they're talking about <laughs> they're scalping tickets for almost $1,000 now. So, wow. you know, Goodness. everybody wants to see uh, what, what women Yama looks like uh, on American soil. $1,000 to see Web and Yama play in a summer league game. Wow. $1,000 to see him play in an exhibition. That tells you the hype. And you know what? People in Vegas, they have money for that. $1,000, sit courtside, summer league game. You might see Webinyama play 12 minutes. Hope you enjoy it. You can sit on your couch and watch it on ESPN. You can stream it. You can do all those things. But I hope that that dude stays healthy. And I hope he doesn't run into more trouble like he's already run into. And I'm not sure if this is Web and Yama trouble, but did you hear the drama between Web and Yama and Britney Spears? Yes, that Britney Spears. We'll talk about it next. Wicket needs a timeout. He'll be back soon. You're listening to 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. Listen, I don't care what anybody says. This is a good song right here. All right. Twenty-year-old Wicket, like forty-two-year-old Wicket, but twenty-year-old Wicket. What year did this one come out? When did Toxic come out? Right around that. Right around the year two thousand, two thousand one. Right. That's when Toxic came out. I think. Because Baby One More Time came out when I was in high school. All right. How old are you, Kara? When Hit Me Baby One More Time came out from Britney Spears. That was 96, right? 96, 97, yeah. I was two. Okay. All right. Okay. You were two when Hit Me Baby One More Time came out. Okay. All right. It's 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. My name is Mike Wicket. I'm officially old. Thank you. This is Wicket's World. So... If you haven't seen the biggest story, it, it's got a sports pop culture thing going on right now. If you haven't seen it yet, Victor Webinyama, seven foot five kid, everybody's excited to see play in the NBA. He's in Vegas. He's living the NBA life already. He's probably got, you know, women all around. I don't know what you do when you're underage in Vegas. I don't know if the rules really apply when you're the number one pick in the NBA draft. I mean, he's 19. I'm sure the rules are different for Victor Webb and Yama than they would be for me, Mike Wicket. But he's at the uh, he's in the the Aria, right? And if you haven't seen the story yet, where have you been? But Webb and Yama, seven five, walking with his entourage, his security from the Spurs, his people, his agent, his manager, whatever, and they're at the Aria Hotel and Casino in Vegas, and they're going from his room or wherever they were, and they're going to a restaurant. And he's signing autographs. He's doing the things you're supposed to do when, you know, you're the face of the NBA Summer League. And on the way to the uh, the, the restaurant, a woman comes up and tries to get into touch or talk to Victor Webinyama. And as the story goes, the head of security moves this person away from uh, from Wemby after she reaches up and touches him. Wembenyama says it's a grab. The woman says it was a touch. Regardless, 
the reaction from security was to forcefully move the woman away with the back of his hand. Whether it was a push, a slap, something along those lines, the woman's glasses get knocked off of her face. Turns out that woman is Britney Spears. Okay? <laughs> so Britney is in the Aria with her crew. Webb and Yama's coming through with his crew. And, man, this is such a... T it's, it's tough to tread lightly on this, on this subject because you have a large man, and it's not Wemby who did this, but you have a large man, head of security, big dude, strong dude, hitting a woman. And if you take the side of security, then you're basically promoting domestic, you know, abuse against women. And if you take her side then you're just basically blindly supporting a pop star. According to TMZ and this Canadian dude named Brian, who witnessed the whole thing, here's what happened. Wemby was walking into the area uh, heading to catch when there was a, a fan who afterwards we found out was Britney Spears was uh, approaching him with a British accent uh, saying, excuse me, sir, excuse me, sir. What? And just kept trying to go towards him when eventually Wemby and his, and his entourage were heading into the restaurant to catch. That's when Britney sort of infiltrated her way into this circle and one of his uh, bodyguards gave her like a backhand uh, slap across the face. Now, my question is, and there, we haven't seen video of this yet. Was this a whack? Did he go up to her and whack? Or when her hand came up on Wemby, and Brittany's 5'3", did he push her away? And because the dude's probably 6'5", the security guard, 6'3", 6'5", whatever, his arm pushing her away, she's reaching up. So just picture a five foot three woman reaching up to a seven foot five dude, probably the middle of his back, reaching up, and the guy pushes the arm. Maybe it hits, maybe it slips, and I'm not justifying hitting a woman, but it, maybe it hits, maybe it slips, maybe it, and he hits her in the face. This is being painted as a terrible situation, I think, but I think there's more to it. More from this Canadian dude, Brian, talking to TMZ. What was Brittany doing? Was Did she make contact with him? Did she touch him? Describe, like, literally the blow-by-blow blow of how that all happened. So she was approaching him and using, like, like I said, a British accent, saying, excuse me, sir, excuse me, sir, I guess trying to get his attention for a, possibly a picture. When they walked right into the catch restaurant, that's when she leaned in, sort of got her way into the circle and started to put her hand on his uh, back shoulder or his back because he's pretty tall, so towards his back. And then that's when uh, the bodyguard just turned around, slapped her across the face, and knocked off her sunglasses. Well, so, by the way, when, A, when did Britney Spears get a British accent? And B, when did Britney Spears become a fan of NBA Summer League? Who, who knew that was a thing? More from TMZ. Did you see his hand make contact with her face. Yeah, you, you saw the hand, but uh, you also heard the slap. Is it possible, and I'm not suggesting this, did you see him hit her hand and her hand hit his face, or was it his hand that squarely hit her face? No, it would be the hand that hit the face. And you saw her sunglasses fly off? They flew off, yes. Did she fall to the ground? At that point, there was a lot of commotion uh, with people in the way, but I don't recall her seeing her fall to the ground. Just sort of go to the side and like hunch over. All right, and one more, last one from TMZ, talking to this dude who eyewitnessed everything inside the Aria. 
When did you realize that it was Britney Spears? Not until this morning when uh, we started seeing more reports on the news. After the slap, what happened? Did Victor walk in the restaurant? What did Britney do? Can you describe that? Victor walked right in, kept going. A couple of people stayed behind to check on her. I'm telling you, they didn't know. I'm guessing they didn't know it was Britney. So just to restrain this person from getting any closer. That's when afterwards they sort of tried to walk her out of the restaurant. She screamed and using a British accent. That's what she was using. The whole time this is in america and she was saying that in an angry that she had been yes it was an angry tone did you eventually see her walk into the restaurant as well no so we didn't see her at that point walk in but when we finished our meal and came back out she was still hanging around and there was uh, uh, other i guess she had a group of people around her and then she walked through aria covering her face with a hat all right and let's get Wemby's side of this here's victor webinyama the number one overall pick who had his hand or his back either touched or grabbed by Britney Spears. Something did happen a little bit when uh, I was walking with the, with some security of the, the team to the to, to some restaurant. We were in a hall. There was a, a lot of people, so people calling me, obviously. One person who was uh, who was calling me, but uh, we talked before with the security. Don't stop because it's gonna make it's gonna make a, a crowd. So I, I couldn't stop. So that person was calling me, sir, sir, and that person grabbed me from behind. I didn't see what happened because I was walking straight, and we told don't stop. That person grabbed me from behind, not on my shoulder. She grabbed me from behind, and uh, so I, I just know that the security pushed her away. I don't know with how much force though, but uh, security pushed her away. I didn't stop for, to look, so I kept walking and uh, enjoyed a nice dinner. <laughs> wasn't it? That was a fun night. Oh, okay, all right. The end of that is incredibly cringy. All right. My my biggest criticism of Webinyama, and he had very little to do with this. He was just walking. My biggest criticism is why isn't the first thing out of his mouth? My apologies on behalf of my security team to Britney Spears. That should have been number one. All right. Whether or not. It was an accident. It was intentional. The truth is always somewhere in the middle. There's always three sides. There's your story. There's your side to the story. There's my side to the story. And then there's the truth. All right? Especially when we have cameras and we've got pictures and all these things. But the first thing Victor should have done is, uh, hey, want to make sure Brittany's okay. My apologies. My uh, my security team may have gotten a you know, little over their shoes or whatever the phrase. I apologize. I hope Brittany's okay. I love you. I know Brittany Spears is a global superstar. Victor probably knows who she is. You know, she's that big for some of his life. I don't know. You just made me feel really old, Kira. 19 years ago, she was probably already going down the badass crazy. Wasn't she already beating stuff with umbrellas by 2004 when he was born? So by the time he was 10, she was no longer Britney Spears. A couple, lot of questions come up. First of all, how did Britney Spears get through to Victor Webinyama. How did Brittany, like she's a 40, she's my age. She's a 42 year old mom. You think my wife, Lee, who is also a 42 year old mom could get through to Victor Webinyama? Now I granted that there's probably some celebrity privilege. Like Brittany can go anywhere she wants and do anything she wants. Or she could when she was, you know, Taylor Swift popular back in the two thousands, she was the biggest thing on the planet. She probably thought she had some celebrity privilege and she was allowed to do anything. And number two, of all people to know, don't approach the celebrity and try to bust through their security. Wouldn't you think the biggest global icon since Michael Jackson would have known better? I'm not blaming Britney being like, oh, you know, victim blaming, because I'm sure somebody's going to complain about that. But like, put yourself in good situations. 
Don't don't run through security to get to the golden boy, the face of the NBA Summer League, because that security guard's job is literally to protect that asset. Can I throw another wrench into whatever you into want? This? What if it was just an impersonator, like one of her many? There are lots of them. Yeah, but she put out a long thing on Instagram. Saying it was really her? Yes. Britney Spears put out a long oh. thing on Instagram. There was there were oh. charges. There was a, a, a police report was filed. Now, no charges 50 minutes ago. I just read no charges are coming against Victor Webb and Yama or the Spurs security team as of right now. But she did put out this long thing on Instagram that if I read you, it would bore you. Oh, but, cool. <laughs> but you can Google that. You can Google Britney's Insta if you want. You can find that out. But it's, just, it, it's basically, you know what this is? It's a really stupid situation. You shouldn't go try to bust through security. Doesn't matter if you're Britney Spears or you're Mike Wicket. You try. You shouldn't try to go bust through security to go take a selfie with Victor Webb and Yama. Two, the security guard was probably doing his job because psychos are everywhere. You know, ask Steffi Graf. Google that one later. Somebody with a knife jumped onto the court. She's a tennis player. Stabbed her. A long time ago. Um, was that Monica Sellis? One of the two. But th- people are crazy. All right, and you're in Vegas, and there's a lot of there's some substances in the air in Las Vegas. All kinds of stuff is going on in Las Vegas, so people may not be in their right mind. So the security guard has the face of the NBA to protect. He's somebody charging and reaching and reaching, so he's going to slap back. And if he's six foot five or six feet tall, and she's five three, and she's reaching up like, please sir, can I have some more? Trying to reach Victor Webb and Yama. That arm is going to come across fast. It's going to come across hard. He's doing his job. And again, of all people to know, don't go after the celebrity. You would think Britney Spears would know that. I hope she's fine. I hope her gla- I hope she can afford new glasses or whatever. What is this? What song is this? Oh, my God. Of all the Britney songs you, play- you picked to get us out on, this is the one? Really? This is not the best Britney song. Get out of here. That's next week's show. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Andrew Cooper. Podcast at ESPNDesMoines.com. My name is Mike Wickett. Thanks to Kira for keeping us on the air. Have a great weekend. We'll do it again next week. See ya.